First to the key. First to the egg. First to fun fiction. Welcome to Fun Fiction, ladies and gentlemen, the weekly show about movies, arts, entertainment, and then how the fans just mess it all up. Oh my god. <laughs> it's fine. I'm your host, Scotty Moore. And I'm your other host, Brenna Clark. So, B, firstly, can we just say, if this episode is not called Ready Player Fun, we have failed as hosts? Yeah, I think that's a pretty solid name. <laughs> it's just Ready Player Fun and that's it. Maybe we should change the whole podcast name to Ready Player Fun. Yeah, exactly. That The whole show is now Ready Player Fun. It's, You're welcome, fans. It's as obvious of a joke as the people who are like, wouldn't the sequel be called Ready Player 2? Am I right? Well, I mean, what else are you going to do? Ready Player the second? Uh, Ready also player. <laughs> I like that one. Ready player two, the quickening. And it's like, wait, what the fuck? What's the quickening <laughs> got to do with this? And you never find out. Yeah. Um. Before we get into talking about how good this movie is, can I just share my story of how I, how I now own the most ready player one swag of all time? Please do. So here's what had happened. I got tickets to, like, an early advanced screening of Ready Player One, and they were like, also, there's going to be costume contests, and there's going to be, like, a cool 80s dance party. It's going to be amazing. The 80s dance party consisted of them playing um, uh, Never Gonna Give You Up on repeat for, like, 50 minutes while no one stood up and danced. It was really sad. Because when you get a bunch of nerds in a room... No one's gonna dance. No, we're true too introverted for that. Yeah, but for the costume contest, your boy here decided to go as the most eighties human being on the well, previously on the planet, Tr- the Macho Man Randy <laughs> Savage. And the costume was all right; it was very thrown together at the last minute. But what won me over with the crowd, Brenna, is before I went in, I stopped at a gas station and bought, I believe, $20 worth of Slim Jims. Oh my god. It's so like, as they, like, because they would put a hand over someone's head and be like, alright, who likes Marty McFly? Yay! Who likes, um, Ferris Bueller's sister? A legitimate costume someone had was Ferris Bueller's sister, and I felt so bad for them. But then they'd be like, and who likes the macho man? And then just, oh yeah! And then I was throwing them like a psychopath. Oh my god! So you threw them out into the audience? Yes, because you want to know how to get cheered? Get people yelling, I want a Slim Jim, over and over again. And then they'll cheer. Scotty! I cheated my You're way. a genius. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, to be the ultimate victor, I got a swag bag that had a copy of the book, a dope denim jacket with Ready Player One on it, and then a Ready Player One water bottle that I still use at work. So everybody thinks this is like my favorite movie of all time because <laughs> I refuse to drink out of anything else. Well, yeah, it's free. I mean, come on, you're going to use it. 
Yeah, dog. I'm like, no, you could have given me. You, it could well, no, I was going to say it could say Mein Kampf across oh, the side. No, it's still <laughs> like, well, this was free. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was free, Brenna. It's fine. Ew, I mean, what am I going to do? Not use it? What am I going <laughs> to I mean, I went to the rally. I didn't agree no, with them. Stop, 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 stop. I, look, I said I didn't agree. No, no. This is not. No. Okay. Ready Player One? It's so Ready Player One, a, a, a novel by uh, Adolf Hitler. No, um, no, <laughs> dude, this is Ready Player One is in a series of like films and books and things that I hold a special place in my heart. And the Same. reason that, well, the reason with me is the fact that I feel like I could have wrote it, which I know doesn't sound like anything but like i had the same thing i had the same thing when i first watched um what was it when i first watched the kingsman movies i was like i feel like this could have come out of my brain and so therefore i instantly love it i can i can see that yeah so i i loved it the minute i picked it up and everything and like the movie we'll probably get into a few of the weird things about the movie yeah. But, like, the minute the movie starts up and you just hear, like, Van Halen's jump, I was like, okay, you could do anything to this movie, and I wouldn't care. Yeah, I mean, the soundtrack was pretty on point, I will say that. Mm-hmm. I was not disappointed by the 80s soundtrack. The soundtrack was very good. Here's the thing. It was directed by Stevens. Stevens. am I getting this correctly, Spielberg. Y- yes, I believe. <laughs> Maybe it's Spielberg. Actually, Spielberg. Yes, that. So, um, it, and I feel like since Spielberg is very much a everyone wants to see his movies kind of guy, he couldn't get as nerdy. <laughs> and also, he had to like put a point at the end of like, oh, also BT dubs. Maybe don't play video games all the time. Meanwhile, in the book, they're like, totally play video games all the time. It will never come back to bite you in the ass at all. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Um, like, there, the changes between the movie and the book were, like, drastically different. Like, I didn't like changing the first key to be, like, a car race. Yeah. That was I really had to separate myself going in because I had already, I think from you, (laughs) heard that it was a completely different beast. And so I was just like, okay, I'm just going to sit down and I'm going to throw the book away and just be like, this is Ready Player One. And I couldn't. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, you couldn't? I was thinking, say, is is this basically now about to be an episode about... Two separate things, a film called Ready Player One, and then a book that has nothing to do with the film called Ready Player One. (laughs) That's also called... Well, I don't know. I liked the additions that they did. I don't necessarily like some of the subtractions, but... There were so many subtractions. I've done a lot of, like, soul-searching with Garen (laughs) about it, because he keeps telling me they can't have taken as long as it took for him to find all the keys and all the gates and and build the relationships with these people because it took a much longer time in the book and you you can't do that in like a what was it two hour long movie or something yeah 
Yeah, well, my argument was about to yeah. be like, yeah, we'll make it a trilogy. And then I realized like that, w- that would Very. be so expensive to try to pay for the rights for a trilogy as opposed to a singular movie. But I guess they could have done like, I don't know, a sh- a, I don't know if maybe like a TV show would have worked or a mini series or I don't know. I just wanted, I, w- I, I mean, the story is still good, but it's not what I wanted necessarily. I, w- I will say uh, I rock in the movie is so much better than he is in the book. I loved yeah. I rock in the movie. I would trade movie. I rock for book. I rock any day. And it's weird. Cause they're not the same character at all in the book. It's just no. like, this is our friend I rock in the, he's a dick. <laughs> he is a dick. And then in the movie, they're just like, and he is an awesome giant TJ Miller skull man. <laughs> he did have a pretty bitch in avatar. I will say that. His avatar was very, very good. And like, here's my thing. And it, the movie would not have sold as much and Spielberg probably wouldn't. Well, he probably would have directed it even if, but I got mad that they decided to be like, instead of just being strictly eighties, this world just got fucking everything. Oh, is that Tracer? Yeah, that's Tracer. Is that Harley Quinn from the got like the Batman um from the Batman video games? Yes, it is. Well, I think they could have all been in there in the book, but we it wouldn't have necessarily focused on it because it the the world was so obsessed with the eighties because of Halliday, but yeah, I yeah, don't yeah. know. I could it, see that. Um, <laughs> can I just say one of my favorite moments in the book? And and it got. I would say this is. I I don't want to use the word ruined, but I think they ruined this in the movie. And it's when he goes to the Planet Arcade and plays the perfect game of Pac-Man to get the fucking quarter that ends up being the extra life that allows him to, like, save the world. That was so dope. Meanwhile, in the movie, they were just like, oh, by the way, Homeboy got a quarter now, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of liked that. I mean, I I liked the way that they um, used Ogden in there. And, I mean, he he bested him you know like he used his like he was his best friend and he didn't know that that was in the archives you know but this kid did yeah okay i could see that but like even then like because it happened for people who've never read the books they could just be like oh that's a really cool moment and i like that for the people who did read the books and are also huge nerds like me it's just a matter of like he didn't play a perfect game of pac-man i want a film where it's nothing but ty sheridan in front of pac-man for two hours i know you know i think do they think that we don't want to watch him play video games because yes i do Because, yes, I very much do, more than anything else in the entire world. Um, Also, uh, a weird connection I made while just, uh, while staring at the poster for this movie, and it's the fact that the Ty Sheridan also looks a lot like, um, God, what's his name? What's it? Who? Logan Lerman. Logan Lerman. That's a good name for a human being. Oh, my God. No. Logan Lerman. Logan Lerman looks like if you took all the masculinity out of Dean Winchester's face. Uh, okay. <laughs> but no, I I think he looks like um he looks like the guy from the King Ta- Ta- 
Taryn Egerton. Really? The lead, yeah, the lead guy from The Kingsman. I think they look alike. Okay. <laughs> I have a weird... It's the lips. They both have those lips. I I will take your word for that, because I don't know. Oh, come on. It's fine. Also, I feel like a lot of people give this movie crap because they're just like, or the movie and the book crap of just being like, yeah, but it's just like a basic story. Like nothing exciting really happens in the narrative. And I'm like, nothing exciting needs to happen in the narrative. There's already so much happening. Yeah. I, I don't know. The- <laughs> this, this story, like there are there are books that I read sometimes where I'm just like, oh, that was like a lovely steak dinner. My my body <laughs> got all the nutrition it needs. My brain got good thoughts. This is like cake. This is a cake movie yes. where you just you're like, I know it's not that healthy for my brain, but God, did you see Mecha Godzilla? <laughs> <laughs> and did you see the Overlook Hotel? Yeah, exactly. That was probably one of my favorite changes that the movie made, was all of the Shining stuff. Yeah, I really dug that. That was right up my alley. It's like they were writing the screenplay and they said, well, this is going to piss Brenna off, but let's just put in some Stephen King and it'll cheer her right up. Yeah, exactly. They're going to be like, well, she's not going to like a lot, so can we get Harley Quinn in a few scenes? Yeah, yeah we can do that. I guess and we'll pepper in so Shining. Overwatch, it's fine. It's fine, and then she won't be mad about it at all. It should be good. Um, I will say that the movie had a bad balance, and I, I, I the book might have, but like it's been a few, uh, a bad balance between the in Oasis universe and the out of Oasis universe. Because yes. hey, Mister Spielberg. I don't give a damn about the real world in this movie. No. Like, okay, I was going in a different complete direction. Oh, oh really? <laughs> yeah. I thought that there wasn't enough. Well, okay, maybe not so much the real world itself, but the characters behind the avatars. Because, I mean, basically they they stripped H down to almost nothing. and Yeah, and... H was my probably after the reveal my favorite character yes. in the book just because I was like yes my woman I mean she's amazing and they don't they don't give her anything they took away her backstory we didn't get anything from her and then with Parzival and Artemis they 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 don't have time to like develop this romantic. Uh, relationship and yeah. she just like gropes his penis once at a dance and I'm like whoa girl what are you doing you don't even know this boy he has nice silver mm-hmm. hair but stop touching his wee wee please you are aware he has the cool suit that a lot that i'm fairly sure was written in just so you could touch his wee wee <laughs> i don't think that's how that works spielberg was in a meeting and was like we need some sex appeal <laughs> but these are video game characters what can we do let's give him a suit that allows him to feel when she touches it excellent you're getting a promotion greg i'm, I'm gonna go shoot greg whoever he is it's terrible oh, and it makes no sense like it doesn't fit with her character and that like i don't know it made me want to throw up in my mouth i'm like you don't what are you doing i don't get it 
I also, by the way, just while we're saying how they ruined some characters, Daito and Shoto essentially just became, hey, we've got some Japanese yeah. guys here. And that was it. <laughs> like, even the death, I'm like, all right, he did. He did. That's about it. I mean, Shoto was really cute and all, but... And it was also weird that they changed their ages, too. Oh, yeah. Um Man, I don't know about Artemis. Like, I have a very love-hate relationship with uh, in-game Artemis in the movie. Yeah. I'm like, oh, fish eyes. Yeah, that's what it is. She got fish eyes. Yeah. She looks like a fish lady. Uh, yeah. Meanwhile, in the book, I like reading about her. I'm like, nah, this is going to be the hottest woman of all time. She's going to have like this cool cyberpunk stuff going on. And then in the movie, Spielberg's just like, but what if fish? <laughs> but what? What if fish? Though? What if puffer fish specifically? <laughs> but what if puffer fish? And then people are like, "Actually, no, I don't think it was Steven. I'm fairly sure that was also a Greg inclusion." Greg is an asshole. Greg like Steven Spielberg brought this really dope, good-looking idea for Artemis, and then Greg was like, "Wait a minute. What if? I know you hurt. You love. You loved the great." suit dick campaign of 2017 <laughs> let me move on to my next one which is maybe but fish did you think about that another million dollars on your paycheck greg good job thank you thank you mr steven <laughs> i also i i really like that it's been long enough that a lot of our like honeymoon period with this movie is gone to where we could be like it actually was I won't say it was bad, because it was a very good movie, yeah. but also, God, the book is so good. It is, and it I, I keep I keep telling myself that they're not the same thing. They're just two things with the same name. But, I mean, at the core, the story is the same, but it's just like the lead-up was like... It's, it's because it got water... Not, somehow adding in a race... <laughs> Made it less exciting. Well, and I guess it's it's just because I'm a fucking nerd, Brenna. And I'm like, I wanted to actually see him go through Dungeons and yeah, Dragons. Exactly. And I but instead in the movie, they're like, but, you know, kart racing is super cool. But, and I, I mean, I, I, I liked the race. I thought it was cool. I liked King Kong and all that nonsense. But mm-hmm. it it's not, I wanted... I wanted to see the grind. Like you characters like level up and shit, but here he is just like doing yeah, exactly. his thing at the start of the movie. Like mm. he, he's Yeah, I, I mean <laughs> I feel bad because people are gonna like, like this is the first time we've ever just shat on a movie for the first twenty minutes. And it's just because the book is so good and yet we've not even talked about how good the like the best parts of the book. Look, I wanna tell you the way that I found the book, I we had moved out of our old office into a new one at my work, and one of my coworkers came up to me and she said, "Hey, I found this. Is it yours?" And it was a copy of Ready Player One, and I took it and I was like, "No, but it is now." <laughs> and yeah. so then I read it and I was like, "This is my favorite book. Thank you, book gods." With me, like, I, I, I consume media so poorly, like, the, the the list of things that I need to see, watch, and or read is so massive that it's not even a list anymore. It's just a pool that I can reach into. And at one day, I was just finally like, 
I will ready player one. I and will. Like, within page one, I was like, I'm, I've got this. I'm ready. <sighs> but yeah, yeah, dude, it's such a good book. It's such a good movie. But you know what else is good, Brenna? What else is good, Scotty? All of our lovely patrons over at patreon.com slash a load of BS. That's right, lovely people listening on the podcasting apps that you use right oh. now. If you... <laughs> it sounded like you were about to vomit. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, if you want to support us, you can over at patreon.com slash a load of BS. And you got perks. You get access to our Discord. You get shouted out on a load of BS. So, yeah, if you want to help out all the BS Network programs, you can over at patreon.com slash a load of BS. So, Brenna, we've talked about the book, kind of. Kind of. And, and we talked about the movie, which... It, no one's gonna think we like the movie at all after that segment. We love the movie, friends. We just have to get it into your head that it's not what the nerds wanted. Yeah, it's I not. also think it was. I also think it was because there was a solid thirty minutes of us trying to get your audio to work that just allowed a bunch of salt to grow into our systems, and so when we started recording again, we were just like. Bleh! Yeah, I was holding Take on. Take it, movie. <laughs> a lot of stress. Yeah, yeah. Um, but now it's time to get into the fan fiction realm, which not a lot of. I think you're exaggerating. Brenna, Sealark, every our two main sources, archive of our own had. I think archive of our own had three pages worth. Fanfiction.net had like two pages worth. I think you are I do I don't know what your um specifications are for finding fan fiction but I think that your expectations are way too high cuz I found like 10 Brenna, I guarantee I could look up home improvement fan fiction I don't right hear now it. Find- I don't want to hear it <laughs> You put your tool time up <laughs> Okay, so my the fan fiction I found is called uh, Ready Player One. So much time <laughs> and so little to see by Andy Robot. Um, so, I, I mean, you already know what it's about, but I'm not going to spoil it for the people at home. <clears throat> I smelled smoke and crisp cold air and chocolate. <laughs> now it's definitely chocolate. What the hell? That was H, no doubt about it, though at the moment he looked like a blurry blob. When my vision cleared and I saw what he was wearing, I couldn't help but laugh. Dude! Nice cowboy gear. Whatever, man. He was laughing, too. What's with the urchin look? Aren't you supposed to be, like, super rich now? Urchin look? I looked down at myself. H was right. I definitely appeared to be dressed in scruffy, hand-me-down clothing, but that wasn't the weirdest thing. Hey, H? Yeah. Are we shorter than usual? (laughs) I would not describe any of this as usual. A third voice, one with a thick Japanese accent, which is the only reason I did it. (laughs) I was like, please don't make me do it. Oh, oh, the book said it. Now I have to talk like Master Splinter. (laughs) Shoto! H and I exclaimed. 
Shoto looked even more ridiculous than we did, if that was possible. He sported a truly dorky suit with short pants. We were all set to make fun of him for his ridiculous getup, but something about him seemed off. We hadn't asked to be here, but Shoto really didn't want to be here. All right, guys, settle down, I said. Clearly, we're in some kind of flick sink of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, but why? Yeah, and where's your girlfriend? Asked H, with just a hint of shade. Good question said Artemis, appearing right on cue, dressed in a red coat with a white collar. All I know is that I came here to kick ass or chew bubblegum. And I hate bubblegum, so I chose Veruca. Wait, they gave you a choice? That's not fair, said H. It's not my fault I'm the only girl. Um, actually, you're not. Hello? H presented as male in the Oasis, but in reality she was an African-American woman named Harriet. But before Artemis could respond, a warning buzzed on our HUDs. Flick sync begins in three, two, and before we knew it, we were off and running. Unlike most flick syncs, this one seemed to be starting in the middle of the movie, when the golden ticket winners actually arrived at Willy Wonka's factory, and surprise, surprise, when good old Willy finally emerged from his factory doing his fake wobbling shtick, ending in a fantastic somersault, wouldn't you know it, tonight, for one night only, the role of Willy Wonka was played by none other... Then James Halliday. I'd seen this movie a bunch of times already. It was one of Halliday's favorites as a kid. Not only that, but it had become sort of a Gunter cliche to refer to the hunt for Halliday's Easter egg as a modern-day Willy Wonka story. Heck, even I'd thought that some reference to the movie might have shown up somewhere in the original quest, but no, too obvious. I mean, of course it was too obvious. So what were we doing here? The quest was over. We found the three hidden keys, the three hidden gates, and when the dust settled, there could be only one. And that was me, the Highlander of the Oasis. Except I hadn't done it all by my lonesome. Wouldn't have gotten anywhere without a little help from my friends. H clued me in on that Zork would be a huge part of the journey. Artemis was the only one of us to figure out that Tempest was an Atari game and a Shakespeare play. Shoto had been invaluable in the final battle in Daito. Poor Daito. Halliday spoke. Hold your breath. Make a wish. Count to three. We were looking out over the lush green candy forest of the chocolate room. It smelled like powdered sugar and magic. I hope you know this, um, I heard myself say. I wouldn't be here without any of you. Daito, too. The words dialogue warning popped onto my display as I knew they would. When you were in a flick sync, you couldn't break character. You couldn't drop out to check the script, and you could only drop a line a limited number of times. Three strikes, and you were out. I saw Shoto lower his eyes. I put my hand on his shoulder. We walked down the stairs, and suddenly Halliday's cane thwipped back, stopping us in our tracks. Artemis yelped, Jesus, you nearly kneecapped me! What the hell kind of children's movie is this? Dialogue warning. Come with me, and you'll be in a world of pure imagination, sang Halliday. H got a dialogue warning, too, when Wonka slash Halliday plucked a hair from his head, causing him to unleash a stream of profanities that would make a longshoreman blush. Apart from that, though, we played our parts the best we could. Except Shoto. He just stood by the chocolate river and <laughs> stared. At this point, Augustus Gloop is supposed to be shoveling liquid chocolate into his mouth, but Shoto just stood there, gazing at the waterfall. Mrs. Gloop said, Augustus, sweetheart, save some room for later. Onoka gasoitene, watashi wa mofu, 
Nifuku Shedim Emasu. I've got no fucking clue what he just said. Shoto's voice was barely a whisper. The simulation glitched backwards. Mrs. Gloop said it again. Watashi no ani wa shinide imasu. Goryoisho kodesai. This time he was yelling. Mrs. Gloop opened her mouth to deliver a line a third and final time, and Shoto. There's no other way to say it. Shoto looked exactly like Tetsuo Shima in the climax of the 1988 anime classic Akira. His eyes burned with rage, veins pulsed from his fo- arms and forehead, and that's when the river erupted. A tempest, tempest of brown sweet liquid exploded upwards. Umpa, Oompa Loompas ran and hid in terror. The pipes exploded. The NPCs, Grandpa Joe, Violet Guard, and the rest of them froze in static lace silence like someone had hit pause on an ancient VCR. Halliday exclaimed, Oh, uh, Augustus, please don't do that. My chocolate must never be touched by human hands. Out of the chocolate river emerged a phalanx of ghoulish creatures. They wore white tattered shrouds. Their gnarled, deathly faces opened in howls of terror as they crept slowly towards us. It took me a second, but I recognized them eventually. They were the first bad guys you had to face in the 1987 NES game, Castlevania. Zombies, said Artemis. Well, said H, looks like shit just got real. I didn't know what would happen if any of the zombies touched Shoto or us or any of the frozen bad tracking VCR on pause versions of our lovable heroes from Willy Wonka. And frankly, I didn't want to know. I grabbed the nearest thing that looked like a weapon, which happened to be a giant lollipop. The way things were going, I figured it'd be as effective as anything else. I charged into battle. The thing that any gunter will tell you, and this has been true for decades, century, possibly millennia, is that time flies when you're grinding. Not only that, but when you're concentrating on wiping out that zombie horde or plague of liches or that nest of robo-scorpions, it's easy to miss important details. Things like your dinner has gone cold, or your wife has left you and taken the kids, or... A mysterious object has appeared in your inventory, and you're not quite sure where you got it from. Using my makeshift lollipop sword, I was able to cut huge swaths through the legions of undead rising up out of the candy-sweet abyss. Artemis grabbed fresh-grown candy canes out of the ground and fashioned them into steaks, expertly dispatching ghouls with elan and grace while H turned the marshmallow cream mushrooms into a kind of warhammer, knocking zombies into the river three at a time. I body-checked a particularly nasty undead creature into the Chocolate River, and then turned to see a skeletal wraith advancing on the frozen form of Halliday himself. His bony hand just seemed to beckon Halliday's very soul out of his virtual body. It is time, it croaked. You've waited too long. Then from directly behind me, I heard Shoto calling, Get down! I follow- Oh wait, hold on. Get down! I followed his instructions as a lightning storm poured forth from Shoto's hands and into the shrouded wraith. The wraith struggled and sputtered, and breathing a cloud of black smoke that turned the artificial blue sky into darkest night, collapsed into a pile of steaming rags on the spearmint grass. At this, the remaining zombies ceased their onslaught and retreated back into the Cocoa River, already littered with the remains of the undead. Halliday, Wonka, and the other non-player characters sputtered to life. Touched by human hands. Please don't, don't do that. You're contaminating my entire river. Please, I beg you, Augustus. We turned and looked at Shoto. He stood, stone cold like a statue on the river bed, a breath. And he fell backwards into the chocolate river and lay motionless. 
Shoto! cried Artemis, rushing to his side, but Shoto's avatar disappeared, leaving his inventory behind. Dialogue warning! Final warning! Oh, put a sock in it, she mumbled and muttered under the- and munder- uh, she mumbled and and muttering under her breath, she too was eliminated from the flip sink. H and I tried to quit out, but found we were unable to leave. The best bet would be resigning ourselves to finishing the movie as best as we could. Another NPC replaced Artemis's Veruca, which is really too bad because she really would have rocked that I Want the World song. H, like Mike TV in the film, was sent by WonkaVision and shrunk down to the size of a mouse where, well, that's a story for another time. I still didn't understand why we were playing this particular flick sync, nor, nor why we had been brought here against our will, but I played on. Through that last heartbreaking scene where Charlie is told he broke the rules and so therefore he gets nothing. All the more heartbreaking for me because it was our hero, James Halliday, in Gene Wilder's costume yelling at me. Wade Watts, a.k.a. Parsival, a.k.a. the guys that the guy that had beaten the odds to win the contest to run the Oasis in the first place. You get nothing! Good day, sir! Grandpa, and I, Grandpa Joe and I turned to leave, but then, like in the movie, he nudged Charlie. He nudged me. Go on, Charlie. That's when I remembered the no inventory notification. The one I received completely out of the blue in the middle of the fight with the Castlevania zombies. There's no way, I thought, as I opened my inventory, half expecting to see the everlasting gobstopper. Instead, I saw a shiny silver coin. I looked closer at it, and it was a quarter. The year on the quarter was 1981. And suddenly all became clear to me. That day at Halliday's favorite video arcade so lovingly recreated in the Oasis, where I'd gotten the highest score possible in Pac-Man and had received as my reward the one thing every gamer wants. A second chance. One more quarter. One more life. James Halliday's spirit was infused into every pixel of his creation, and now it was up to me to bring him back home. Back to the world he built, to live on inside the Oasis forever. And in order to do that, he needed us. Me, Shoto, H, and Artemis to break from the script. He needed us to literally change the rules from within the game. Mr. Halliday? Silence. I retrieved the quarter from my inventory and placed it solemnly onto his desk. I stood there for a moment, wondering if I should say something. Then I turned, turned and walked towards the door. Wait! I stopped dead in my tracks. My dear boy, said Halliday. You've won! I said. Been there, done that. You're the guy who just scored yourself a second chance. The end. Oh, cool, it's got a note for what showed... Of what Shoto is saying, he's saying, I'm not hungry, I'm in mourning, I miss my brother, please leave me alone. <gasps> Ow. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> you didn't have to read that, you know? I, I wanted to know what the boy was saying. Ow, my tears in my heart. <laughs> so that was mine, B. Bring it. Alright, well, what I have for you is called Endgame, a Ready Player One sequel. And it's by Jag or maybe Jag. <laughs> Jig. <laughs> it. I don't know. Okay. Game over. The message jolted me half out of my top of the line haptic suit. The retro pixelated words were emblazoned on my retinas for a few terrible seconds until mercifully everything went black. 
This wasn't supposed to happen. It wasn't technically possible for a super admin, impossibly rich, controlling stake shareholder of the Oasis to be killed in his own simulation. It wasn't possible, at least until I made it possible. Idiot, as Shoto had last called me, had called me the last time we spoke. After more than six long years with who knows how many dollars in hours spent in in pursuit of Halliday's egg, it was a weird loner from the burnout stacks who had found the ultimate prize. Parzival, me, competed against the best, included countless, including countless clans of gunters in the infamous Sixers, a corporation that literally killed people in pursuit of the most valuable asset in the world. Thanks to a bit, well, a lot of help from my friends and a dim-witted plan that was hatched in desperation. I became the first and only person to collect all three keys, pass all three gates, and win the biggest prize in the history of the world, Halliday's estate, which included a controlling stake in gregarious simulation systems, billions of dollars, and godlike powers within the oasis itself, powers which I had foolishly just lost forever through my own stupidity. But that mistake didn't happen overnight. What did hope happen overnight was 28% of the Oasis subscriber base had lost everything. Their avatars, their inventory, their money. The IOI detonated the Cataclyst, a single-use artifact that killed every single avatar in the sector. And 28% of the Oasis was in the sector that night, watching me find Halliday's egg. So while I celebrated my victory with Artemis, Samantha or Sam as she preferred, the wheels of my destruction were already turning. My victory celebration didn't last long. Little did I know the Oasis has a hard-coded limit on revivals. I had 24 hours in which I could have restored every single character killed by the Cataclyst, but I didn't. Instead, I slept like a baby in one of Ogden's luxurious bedrooms and chatted with my friends over breakfast. By the time I thought to try to fix things, the deadline had already passed. My second mistake, maybe bigger, was telling reporters about this. Oh yeah, I tried to revive everyone, but missed the 24-hour cutoff. Oops, I said, my still bald head smiling dumbly into the camera. It was a short interview that would last forever in vid feeds, talk show monologues, and memes. Smooth move, Wade. It didn't take long for the party to end when over a quarter of the Oasis had lost everything, and I could have fixed it, except, oops, my bad. Somehow, my shrugging of an apology was cold comfort for the Cataclysts, as the new wave of avatars began to call themselves. A quarter of the Oasis was now level one. The Cataclysts included almost every hardcore gunter and experienced player. They rebuilt their avatars together. They power-leveled together. At their core, they became a tight-knit group in search of a new purpose. Companies sprouted up to cater specifically to the Cataclysts. As they made their way up levels, the Cataclysts moved from quest to quest and from zone to zone like locusts, impending access for everyone else. They quickly saw the power of this effect. They formed huge roving clans that started to look and act like the Mafia. Small groups of bandits had always been around, but these were large-scale operations that swarmed the Oasis. Businesses had to pay protection fees, even in non-PVP zones. Cataclyst clans blockaded traffic and brought commerce to a crawl if their demands weren't met. The prevailing attitude was one of distrust for anyone who wasn't a cataclyst. The end of Halliday's hunt had left a huge sucking void that was filled with a new goal for the denizens of the Oasis, tearing down Halliday and everything he had loved. The biggest clan of them all, the Goon Squad, was a major driving force against Halliday. <laughs> Halliday the <laughs> was a major driving force against Halliday the 80s and especially me. They were made up of ex-gunters, including many of the gunter clans that had been on my side during the si- against the Sixers. 
Those guys had lost everything. Trying to make me pay for my mistake became their obsession. I empathized with their loss, but I simply couldn't fix it, at least not for everyone. Even Godhood has its limits in the Oasis. All of a sudden, the 80s were over. The Cataclysts were 90s kids. Grunge music, flannels, sarcasm, and alienation were back in a big way. And for some reason, ska. I never really understood how ska fit in (laughs) with the rest of the 90s, but I didn't really understand why anyone liked that decade. I was an 80s kid through and through. Give me a cheesy synth over a mopey drop D guitar any day. The first few days after the event were a blur. Ogden Morris was my rock through that mess. When, with his help, I was able to navigate the immediate and pressing legal issues from the GSS board and Halliday's estate. Eventually, I also negotiated a settlement, $14 billion, which I considered cheap, for a class action lawsuit against me from the Cataclysm, though that one took a couple hard years to finalize. I might have been able to win the case completely, but my guilt and shame led to a big settlement. Not that it made a lick of difference to anyone who lost their avatar. As time went on, I started to believe that the Cataclyst had destroyed 28% of Oasis avatars, but only one life, mine. Yes, I became a multi-billionaire who spent most of his days moping around feeling sorry for himself. My only solace came from those who made the journey with me. They were the only ones who could even imagine what I was going through. We all bought ourselves private houses right away, but after a few weeks, we all, except for Shoto, who went back to Japan as a national hero, moved into Artemis's quaint three-bedroom house. It was a rare 200-year-old Victorian house with an actual yard. It was surrounded by towering skyscrapers and old apartment complexes, but it had survived every attempt at modernization. Somehow, it had survived. The yard had withered from light being sucked up by its towering neighbors, neighbors, but H had something of a green thumb and was able to get several plants to grow in the shade. I also had one positive event to look forward to each and every week, and that was thanks to Sam. Every Sunday night, we had our driver take us up to Ogden's mansion for a rip-roaring D&D campaign. Og was the ultimate dungeon master, of course. At first, H and I argued we should simply play through the Oasis, but I was glad Artemis stuck to her guns about meeting up in person. There was something thrilling about rolling a natural 20 on an honest-to-goodness wooden table that just felt amazing. Also, it was the only time where I could be Wade Watts, gaming geek, and not Parzival, pariah of the Oasis. It kept me grounded when everything else seemed to be spiraling out of control. Our first D&D campaign was on Kira's birthday. It was Sam's idea because she knew Og would be feeling down and she wanted to keep him occupied. They had grown close after the hunt, maybe because he saw something of Kira and Sam, and she saw Ogden as a man who needed a friend. Before our very first campaign, he took us to Kira's gravestone. We had seen it once before, the night I won the egg, but this time I could see it clearly and read the inscription. We stood quietly in a semicircle before the stone, waiting for Ogden. Um, I, um, he said, then stopped. Kira, she would have loved this. We stopped playing D&D when work got too busy. Then we moved on to other important projects. He looked down at his wife's grave and paused and thought, his salt and pepper beard obscuring his face. It's been years, decades, really, since we've played. I always thought we would come back to it someday. It seemed like something we would pick up again. He tightened his coat against the Oregon cold. The wind cascaded down the hill, punishing our backs. For a moment, the mood was somber, but Ogden Morrow looked up at me and smiled a private grin. Tonight, a true darkness approaches. I have quite the challenge for this ragtag menagerie of misfits. You have all completed your character sheets, I assume. 
With that, we began our walk back to Ogden's enormous castle, where we would all pretend to be low-level nothings trying to earn a few copper coins before a private car would drive us back to our spacious home. The end. I'm going to assume that's not the end, and this is like a... It's not. It's like... Just the chapter. It's like a 50,000. Because, like, as it was going on, I'm like... I was like, there's no way that this is going to be ended before this fucking show is over. No, but that's just a little taste if you want to go read the whole thing. Okay, okay, I'm down with that. Um, Also, um, it definitely... All of ours have had a few inspiration, like, things that um kind of are going to get into my fan fiction. So once you said 90s, I was like, shit, mine has the 90s in it. Damn it. Well, it's just the natural progression, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but before we get into my fan fiction, which is insanely long, and I apologize for anybody who's like, I'm going to listen to this quick episode of fun fiction, then go out. Um, no, 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 I'm sorry. Um, I want to talk about merch.aloadofpurebs.com, Brenna. Please do, Scotty. That's where you get all the lovely BS Network merch you want, whether that be for any of the shows, if you like Op-At, if you like Fun Fiction, Fight Boys, you can support them by picking up a shirt on the website. We got stuff for all the shows. I got some exclusive BS Network merch. I made a really cool crest for the BS Network, and like in each corner has something that represents one of the shows. I really dig it. I- I'm probably going to buy me one of those soon. And if you want to pick it up for yourself, you can over at merch.aloadofpurebsbs.com. Now let's get into mine, Brenna, and I might as well just start going because mine is lengthy. And uh, I just, I wanted to do a continuation of Ready Player One as well, except instead of going where yours did, which was as Wade Watts and see where that goes, mine's a little different. So let's get into it. All right. My name is Peter Parker. What? No, (laughs) not that Peter Parker. Look, my parents, like everybody in the world nowadays, is were obsessed with pop culture. And my dad loved comic books. And with a last name like Parker, it was basically destiny for me to get named this. Unfortunately for you, I don't web swing. I don't save the world. I'm I'm not a hero. I'm just a guy. Well, a singer, actually. So you may know me by a different name. Pavarotti. Okay. Uh, okay, you might not know me, and that's all right. But look, one day, I'm going to be known as the greatest singer in all of the Oasis. You see, I don't use those upgrade packs that get me better vocal cords. I don't use vocoders. No, my music is all completely raw. Just me. You see, I've worked for ages studying the greats in the Oasis. The greats like Rush, Ario Speedwagon, those classically trained artists that used to be respected, but... Ever since Parzival took over, things changed. Gone were the days of Halliday's classical 80s styles. Instead, Parzival decided to take things in a new direction. The direction of the future. Now I'm forced to walk the streets and hear Backstreet Boys or Nirvana polluting my eardrums. It's not that it's bad music, it's just, it's not the 80s. It's like everything they did in the 90s was trying to destroy what the 80s brought in. Much like how many of Parzival's policies have just been destroying what Halliday's vision was. 
Gone were the days where you could spend all the time you want in this place. Now? Now there are these time limits and bedtimes. Parzival forced us to live in the real world. Look, I know that's all well and good for him. I mean, after all, Parzival's a billionaire. He has a beautiful wife. I mean, I'm sure he's more than happily happy to slip out of the oasis. But for those of us on the ground, the ones that live in the stacks, the one with abusive step-parents, we're a little bit less inclined to leave. But that's what Parzival wants. Well, what he wanted. Jesus, this place is about to go to hell. Wade Percival Watts unfortunately died last night due to old age, my teacher told the class, causing a loud groan of sorrow to waft over us, but not me. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I just don't care. If this meant less Hanson on the regular, I'd be fine. People were crying. Students had to be asked to be pardoned because their sorrow was too much to bear. I mean, I don't get it. He's just a guy. It ain't old age, B, a student next to me comments. It was heartache. Oh, I replied sarcastically. Please do go on. You ain't heard? Artemis has been missing for months now. Police pronounced her dead a few weeks back. I guess the guy couldn't just handle it. Before he could finish his next sentence, a massive screen pops up at the front of the classroom, and on that screen was Parzival. Hello, everybody. If you're seeing this, then I'm dead. I already knew what he was going to say. I guess he was going to make it a running theme with these dead guys, hiding one of those damn eggs in the game, preventing normal people like me from just living their lives and causing war to break out across every single planet. It's almost like he didn't remember what the last egg did to this world. I groaned and put on a few classical songs to drown him out. I hear the drums echoing tonight. But she is only whispers yes. of some quiet conversation. I sing quietly to myself as he goes through his whole spiel, going through these ridiculous different landscapes of him in the Fresh Prince living room to sipping coffee at Central Perk. God, his ego knows no bounds. I sigh and lean back, blessing the rains down in Africa as the rest of the class watch on entranced. It's now years later, and the world is once again gripped with egg fever. Gunters are running back and forth, desperately trying to find some clues as I just try to busk for coin on the street. Times haven't been good for me. I mean, if you're not a gunter or working for gunters, nobody cares about you in the Oasis. Even the damn Sixers have gotten back, interrogating everyone they see for information. You want to make some real money? I feel a hand on my shoulder as I look up to see a smiling young woman staring down on me. Come with me, kid. The woman introduces herself as Helen, and she begins leading me to her ship where we eventually land on the planet of Seder, a planet dedicated to drunken partying and singing. I smile as I see numerous people finding jobs as singers and performers. Helen was right. I'm going to find some real money here. I couldn't wait to join the Seder's ranks of singer-songwriters. This ain't what we're here for. Helen grunts in a surprisingly deep tone as she continues to lead me through a bar into its back room. She pulls out a pipe and pulls out a flute from which she plays a series of tones 
that I immediately recognize as the theme song to Rugrats. <laughs> this lets you through the door and into a series of caves until we finally reach a large wooden door with a massive keyhole. Above it reads this etching. In lies riches that would entice any fool. The key lies in a song by a man that's cool. To reach this paradise, you must shun the oasis and find that a different man has pinned its basis. So, it's Coolio, right? She <laughs> responds, pointing to the word cool. Her finger then drags down to the word paradise. It's, it's gangsta's paradise, right? Right. So, why did you bring me here? I ask, turning to leave when she grabs me by the shoulder with a rather firm grip. Because it doesn't work! I've tried everything! I've tried singing it, playing it through speakers, everything! Okay, well, what about this line? To reach paradise, you must shun the oasis. Maybe it's one of Parzival's great lines about getting out of the simulation and into real life. I've tried that, too. I've tried searching in the real world, on Seder. Nothing's helped! She groans when suddenly I make a connection. Wait. This planet is Seder, right? I smile as the pieces slowly come together. And the word Seder eventually evolved to mean what? Saturation? She responds with a raised eyebrow. Not the smartest one. No, satire! Look at this last line. A different man has pinned its basis. Which means it might have started as a Coolio song, but someone else wrote the words. So what you're saying is... As I walk through the valley where I harvest my grain, I take a look at my wife and realize she's very plain. But oh that's just perfect for an Amish like me. You know we shun fancy things like electricity. As I sing the entirety of Weird Al's Amish Delight, the keyhole begins to glow brighter and brighter, and my mind begins to spin with these ideas of riches and the fortune that lays beyond that door. It'd be enough to set me for life. I wouldn't have to work anymore. I could just improve my singing and get to where I need to be. Helen smiles at me as I finish up the last words to the song, only for a sapphire key to appear in midair. I quickly take it and open the door to only discover... Parzival. No. Congratulations! You've discovered the sapphire key! No, 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 no! Now, take this slip and continue your quest to the Brass Egg. Onwards, adventurers. N no, no, fuck, no! I try to rip up the slip, but it immediately manifests in my inventory, as in the right-hand side of my screen, the egg scoreboard displays one name at the top. Pavarotti. 10,000 points. Son of a bitch! Uh, who are you? Uh, look, you couldn't have figured this shit out on your own? No, wait, I'm... Before she can respond, I shove her and notice her body begin to pixelate apart. What the... Who are you? I shove her again and the body once again pixelates further and further until the pixels reform to show standing before me... H. The famous member of the High Five that helped Parzival reclaim the egg. He was a legend. I may not agree with Parzival, but... I was still somewhat shocked to see him standing before me. What the hell? No, 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 I'm not going to be a part of your stupid Gunter stuff. Here, take the, take the, I attempt to take the slip out of my inventory and transfer it to H, but it remains stuck. I scream in fury as I quickly try to run out, but H grabs me by the shoulder. 
You're not going to want to do that, kid. Everybody out there is going to be looking for you. Here, take this. Without even getting my permission, H quickly disguises me in the outfit of uh, Joey Fatone of NSYNC. I groan as he takes me outside where we quickly escape to his ship, where we eventually find ourselves held up in his base. Still furious, I glare at the slip of paper in my inventory. Why exactly couldn't you do this? I'm sorry, aren't you supposed to be some sort of gunter genius? Well, I am. Problem is, there's a very specific clause in this new hunt. A clause that says not a single member of the High Five can claim the egg. Parzival wants new blood to take the helm. So, you're basically cheating your way around that using me. Well, you're not a gunter, so I figured if I coached you through it, you wouldn't mind sharing the riches. I groan as H sighs and turns back to work on a ship while I stare down at the clue from Parzival. How am I even supposed to solve this? It's not even a full clue. H rushes over and we look down at the clue together, attempting to piece things together. On planet Spielberg, this egg lies, and it should be easy. Not in Shawshank, Indiana's, Indiana, Jaws, or E.T. Complete this task, my friend, you can today, because you know that life... And then the papers seem to be ripped off, nothing left of the clue. I look at it in confusion as H stands up stammering. He seemed so confident up until this, until this point. Even his voice seemed to change. Life, uh, 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 life, I stare up at him as a small smirk grows on his face. Life finds a way. <laughs> a few hours later and a quick trip to Spielberg and I find myself in a cart. Well, more of a Jeep. H, I quietly whisper, careful not to trigger the wrong dialogue buzzer. You sure this is gonna work? Oh yeah, definitely. Wade and I have seen this film, like, at least 500 times. Just say what I say, and you should be fine. Suddenly, like some sort of karmic god was laughing at the concept of me being fine, a massive thundering quake shakes the jeep, leaving ripples flying across a nearby glass of water. H! I urge quietly. I, I, I can't... I can't die in here, right? Silence is all I got from the big oaf and I continue to call his name over and over, praying he answer, praying the Sixers hadn't got to him. I mean, the Sixers basically had the planet on lockdown after they found the first key. It was astounding how quickly they managed to find the key after news of my victory first broke. It was like a virus, and I was the catalyst. It was a ripple effect. Not unlike the ripples soaring across the surface of the glass of water next to me. H! I finally yell, causing me to get my first penalty of the film. Everything seemed eerily quiet as he finally responds, Yes? Can I die in here? I don't know. Probably. You might want to look to your left, though. I nervously look over to see the eye of a massive T-Rex staring into the cab. Its pupils dilate as it suddenly roars, leading to a massive scream releasing from my lips as I make a move to escape. Don't! H cries into my headset. Its vision is based on movement. H, 
this was all fine and good when I was le- learning about dino DNA and how they move in herds, but that is a Tyrannosaurus Rex outside. This isn't a joke anymore. How much did you hate, Parzival? My eyes widen as H asks this question. That's why you're doing this, aren't you? You found out how much I hated your little friend, and now, now you're going to kill me for it. Shut up, Illuminati. This isn't some conspiracy, and I'm not trying to kill you. The fact of the matter is this. You've whined and whined about Parzival's ideas, but you've done nothing to change it. With the egg, you'll finally have an opportunity to do something. So if you want to get off your ass for once and actually do something from the world, then trust me and we'll change the world. Now, grab a flare from the back and get ready to run like hell. And I did. I grabbed that flare, I ran like hell, and next thing I knew, I'd survived the attack from the T-Rex, even managed to avoid any damage from a few velociraptors in a kitchen, and I was finally standing in front of Parzival once again, closer to claiming that final key. The diamond key. Unfortunately, so were the Sixers, who had the whole place on lockdown. I mean, it wasn't a massive place like Mount Doom, no. It was the entrance to the club where Parzival and Artemis had their first date, and the line to enter it was actually surprisingly light. Mostly due to the massive army of Sixers casing the joint. H and I arrived on the planet and attempted to push our way past the army of Sixers, when suddenly they part as we enter, and from atop a massive tank, a slender figure climbs down and begins strutting towards us. She had on a helmet like the rest of the Sixers, but they all seemed to show her reverence. She was their leader. An even more shocking realization, however, was when she removed her helmet to reveal pink skin and fiery red hair that seemed to defy gravity. Artemis? H asks in shock as I stare at the beautiful woman known as Artemis. Her avatar hadn't aged a day. I mean, she looked exactly like the photos in our history books. (laughs) You're in charge of the Sixers now? I mean, I guess you could call them Sixers, yes, but in all honesty, I just wanted help. I mean, I'm sure you know of the ban on the high five, correct? She asks H, who gives a small nod, causing her to look down at me. And I see you found some help as well. Pavarotti, is that correct? Yes? I squeak out as she puts an arm around me, dragging me towards the entrance of the club. Son, you remind me a lot of Parzival when we first met. I mean, you have the same exciting brain, the fresh new ideas, and I'm sure you want to put those ideas into motion, correct? Yes, I once again gulp out as I find myself at the entrance to the club, where multiple Sixers enter, but none seem to leave. A painful scream coming just moments after each one enters. Well, listen, I know H has good intentions and all, but with me, you see, you wouldn't just have the power of the Oasis, you'd have the power of all this. With this comment, she smiles and extends her arms to display the massive army of Sixers behind her. We can make sure this world evolves into the next stage, me and you, Peter. How do you know my name? I ask wide-eyed as she laughs quietly. (laughs) Do you really think you're that hard to find? 
Believe me, I tracked you down the minute you found that first key. I just didn't blab about it like Sorrento would. She chuckles me and places me in front of a plaque which reads, Say goodbye, not once but thrice to your home, and recount a verse which can't be found in a tome. Fatalities await all who don't understand, but solve these three and the egg will be in your hands. No one survives this puzzle, Peter. You have one shot at this. She smiles and kisses me on the cheek before turning me towards the doorway. Save the oasis. For us. And with that, I'm quickly thrust into the club where it's surprisingly empty, other than the DJ who sits high above the entire floor, continuing to spin discs and play music, but otherwise there's not a soul to be found. Suddenly, a massive gate comes slamming from above, shutting me away from the outside world. I look up to discover what appear to be hanging bodies laying limp from the ceiling. I start to speak when I remember that the test may have already started. Say goodbye is what began the riddle, so I felt the need to follow its advice. Bye? I quietly comment, waving to the gate that now separates me from the rest of the oasis. It's then that I remember the next part, which actually somewhat causes me to audibly groan. Not once, but thrice. And I'm forced to tack on bye-bye. Bye-bye-bye! The music suddenly starts up and NSYNC's bye-bye-bye begins to blare over the speakers. Suddenly, the Joey Fatone outfit that H gave me didn't seem so silly. Suddenly, the hanging bodies shoot down next to me and I realize that they're wooden mannequins. They begin to dance and a loud buzz sounds overhead, a giant X appearing on my screen, not unlike the error sounds in the Jurassic Park flick sync. It's then that I sigh and realize I have to put all my performance history to the test. I'm doing this tonight, you're probably gonna start a fight. I hated it. I really, I wanted to sing something else, anything else. I mean, I'd sing We Built This City on Rock and Roll at this point, but I made it through. I sang the song pitch perfectly while performing the dance alongside the other mannequins. As the song completes, the rest of my band quickly shoot up into the ceiling, and I slowly walk forward when the floor slowly opens up to reveal a giant wrestling ring. I... I... I have to wrestle? I ask, causing that same buzz to sound again and a second X to appear on my screen. I was now on my last mistake. I sigh and walk towards the ring when suddenly a mannequin shoots down, putting a hand on mine and holding it high. Not sure how exactly, but I'd already won whatever wrestling match was going on. Two mannequins come down and begin to drag away a third mannequin who was looking badly beaten, which was strange for a wood mannequin. And then suddenly the scene becomes familiar to me, as I remember watching wrestling with my dad as a kid. He always considered them real-life comic books, real-life superheroes, and then I remembered the clue, a verse which can't be found in a tome. And then everything clicked. I knew exactly where I was, and I knew who I was. Alright, you want to talk about Psalms? Talk about John 3.16? Well, Austin 316 says I just whooped your ass. Austin 316, that was it. 
a literal Bible verse that couldn't be found in any version of the Bible. I continued the speech that Stone Cold Steve Austin gave after beating Jake the Snake Roberts in the King of the Ring tournament, remembering it very clearly from childhood. I luckily made it through without a hitch when suddenly the ring disappears, as do the mannequins, and a loud stomping sound comes from behind me. I turn to see a terrifying amalgam of mannequins featuring four arms. Given the last hint was fatality, mm. I could only assume that the creature I was facing was named Gora, and I was in Mortal Kombat! The DJ spins up a new record with the Mortal Kombat theme as I was forced to do battle with this Urzitz Goro. I initially try to escape until I realize there is no escape. I have to fight. Get over here! I call and suddenly Scorpion's spear erupts from my arm and I shoot it into Goro's chest. I immediately uppercut the creature and land a dive kick. This was the exact stun lock that I used to beat B when he tried to school me in the game during middle school. I continued this path of, albeit pretty cheaty, destruction until Goro lay at my feet, defeated. Congratulations! I hear a voice from above call as I feel the platform underneath me slowly raise me up to the DJ booth. When I arrive, I find the DJ slowly stopping his record playing and turn in his chair to reveal... Parzival. Well, my god, I certainly didn't expect it to be you. Well... I mean, I guess I did. After all, this is pre-recorded. <laughs> it is? I asked with a raised eyebrow as he smirks and stands. Yeah, it's totally pre-recorded, Peter. He smiles slightly as he walks towards me, offering a handshake. Big fan of your work, by the way. I found it one day while Googling... Well, I was, uh, was Googling myself. Eh, not surprising. I comment as he walks towards the big glass window, decorating the club, staring out. So are you like, are you like a ghost in the machine or something? I mean, how exactly are you doing this? Look, if you're asking if me, Halliday, and a badly CG'd Hayden Christensen are going to show up at your little celebration after this and give you a wave, no. I'm just, I'm here to hand things off. And in all honesty, you seem like the perfect person to hand it to. I mean, you claim I destroyed Halliday's vision, and so now you're here to destroy my vision. But... Let me ask you, please, do it a bit more permanently than I did. Permanently? I ask as he begins rummaging under the DJ desk for a few things. Look at them out there, Peter. Going crazy over something as insignificant as... as this. With that, he pulls out a beautiful glowing crystal egg and stares into it with a smile before tossing it to me. I attempt to grab it and quickly fumble it between my hands, nearly juggling it between the two, until it falls on the ground at my feet and shatters into multiple pieces. Whoa, whoa hey, I, I, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't mean to... No, that just emphasizes my point, Peter. It doesn't matter. It's insignificant little stardust, and yet these people, these people are fixated on it. Do you know why I instated the curfews and off days for the Oasis? It's not so us rich people can hang out in mansions, smoke cigars. No, it's so everybody would start paying attention to the world around them. I mean, how often do you go out of the oasis outside of the allotted time? I fall asleep with the headset on sometimes. I sheepishly reply as he laughs. I exactly! This isn't an escape anymore, it's an addiction! 
And while everyone is in here distracting themselves from the world, the world is getting worse and worse for it. This planet is going to die if we don't convince these people to leave their headsets and go into the world. I mean, even my wife. Peter, Peter, the minute my wife found out that I was going to have this hunt, I could see the Gunter instinct in her click on. She began asking questions over and over again about the hunt. She finally left me when I finally revealed one piece. One piece of the puzzle. And it was that she had to go to the Nickelodeon planet and listen to Happy Happy Joy Joy from Ren and Stimpy for two and a half years. In all honesty, that's probably the only reason the Sixers took this long to solve the puzzles. But see, they're addicts, Peter. They're willing to put up with anything for this. And we need to set them free. With that, he turns to me and holds out a large button, bright red and glowing. He smiles as I take it in my hands, staring down at its crimson glow. The oasis is yours, Peter Parker. Do with it as you wish. I mean, you can keep it going as I have. You can revert to Halliday's old ways, getting rid of all of the, uh, all of the, uh, things that I've put in place. I mean, you can keep living in here until the planet burns up. Or you can press this button and end it all. But the choice isn't mine anymore, Peter. It's yours. The end. That was very long, but also very good. But... I am disappointed that you didn't say finish him. Why wouldn't you do that? Um, here's what had happened, dog. Because even if he, he, he was like, he was basically the kind of player I was, which is if he did have a finish him moment, it would literally be walk next to Goro and then punch him in the chest. <laughs> and just ankle kick him. Yeah. It's either the ankle kick or the punch, either one. The ankle kick's my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> I like the I like the punch just because it's a one strike and then oh it destroyed him. I will say too that the uppercut is my favorite way to fuck someone up when they're playing with me. I'm just like, nope, uppercut, uppercut, uppercut. <laughs> Nothing but uppercuts. Uppercut. No, the uh, okay. No, I'm sorry. This isn't Mortal Kombat cast. But the minute we record one of those, we will definitely talk about the best tactics. And Scorpion is the best. Um, I love Scorpion. But B. But Katana is B, my favorite. Sorry. No, no, I'm sorry. So B, it's been it's been an episode. It's a very lengthy episode. Where can people find you on the internet? Come find me at Brennosaur, B-R-E-N-N-A-S-A-U-R. And come find me. And oh, God. My fucking, my pipes have been put to the test on this one. I had Bye Bye Bye, Amish Paradise, everything. Yeah, and you just thought your impressions from the last episode were a workout. Yeah, I know. Um, so, what are you talking about? I'm back. It's right. Oh, no. <laughs> I did this. I did this. You did this to me. 
you can find me on Twitter at Scotty Mo. That's S C O T T Y E M O. And you can buy all my books on Amazon, the whole Queasel Corp trilogy, BS versus the gods. Check them all out. And then, of course, if you've got Audible, make sure to go sign up for a three 30 day trial. If you don't have one, and you can get a free audio book of any of my books other than two of them. <laughs> and of course check out all the other bs network programs at a load of pure bs.com if you like pro wrestling there's fight boys if you like uh two dudes being jackasses there's a load of bs and then of course if you like theme parks opposite attractions we got stuff for everybody over there ladies and gentlemen and of course don't forget to support us either by buying merch at merch.loadofpurebs.com or donating to our patreon and then of course make sure rate comment subscribe if you're on youtube leave a comment leave some good fan fiction if you've got some for us and who knows you may actually end up reading it out on the show one of these days but uh really yeah dude like i'd be be pumped if people like sent it i think we need to do a thing where like we tell people what next week's episode is gonna be and then they could send in send in stuff they want to want us to read but then we would have to know what the next episode is going to be. Well, I am looking at our schedule, and I think next week is actually going to be pretty exciting because we got to go, me and Fun Fiction, go to the movies because next week we are doing Teen Titans go to the movies. <gasps> oh, shit. That comes out so soon. I know, bro. I'm excited for it. So I yeah. forgot. I'm so jazzed about Mamma Mia 2 that I just like completely <laughs> forgot. I'm being completely serious. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So yeah, if you want to send in some Teen Titan, some Teen Titan uh, fan fiction, send it on over on either YouTube or to a load of purebs.com and just put fan fiction in your headline. So yeah, uh, it's been an episode, Brenna. But until next time, stay away. Stay away, away. <laughs> baby Hitler. Oh, I forgot. I didn't know whose turn it was. But still, fuck baby Hitler! <laughs>